Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian Bigger, and this is officially my second week as the new lead pastor at Northern Hills. So here's the thing. I'm going to milk the new guy thing as long as I possibly can, all right? For, so for the next six years, I am the new guy, all right? I need all the grace I can get. But, um, man, I just got to let you guys know, you never know how you're going to feel coming into a new role and what it's going to feel like. And last week, all I can tell you is I just had this overwhelming sense of gratitude that God would let me join the team in this way and serve my church in this way. This has been Nicole's and I's home church for a while now. And just even being able to put some names to faces in those last week, I met some of you guys who were literally here at the founding of the church. You have stuck it out for some years. That is awesome. I met some other people. Your first time coming was like Christmas Eve or even last week. So you're new like I am. And I just, everybody's in between. It is just so cool to be able to go on this journey with this church. And I am just so confident and certain that God has such amazing things in store for this church. Does anybody believe me with that? I am just so excited about what God has had. I want to take one quick minute before we just dig in today. Um, we obviously acknowledged all the fires that were happening last week in church and said we definitely want to play a role and be involved with that. And so I have some actual tangible updates for you on just the ways we can really get involved and make a contribution. So some of our ministry partners and the organizations involved out there, they actually said one of the greatest needs right now is people who can actually do delivery driving. There's families who have no transportation, they can't even get the things they need, and they can't even get them where they need to get to. So they said, if you have anybody in church that has just some, maybe a window of time this week, where they can even go out and help shop for supplies and they can get them to the families that need them and the different ministries and organizations that are helping, that would make a huge, huge difference. So Northern Hills, we're going to be a church that gets our hands dirty, right? That's what God is calling us to. So I would love if you were somebody where you might be able to fit that in your schedule this week, you can find Spencer. He's our missions and outreach pastor. He'll be at the cafe right after the service. You can just talk to him, get some more information. His email is actually also on our website if you want to get more info on that. But I know not everybody can get involved in that way. And so for the next couple weeks, we have a Love Your Neighbor Fund um, on the website. It's just a little line item you can give to. Everything that's given to that fund for the next couple of weeks, we're going to help to support the things that are needed to help those families get back on their feet. So if you can't give your time, you can definitely give uh, your finances and be involved that way. You can find that on our website under Give, and you can do it through the app. So we definitely, definitely want to be involved helping those families. Does that sound good? Now i got to ask a question real quick as we start digging in. Do you remember the last time you saw like your first real fight, like a real combat in real life, none of that fake stuff on TV, like a real fight. I remember the first time I witnessed like a real, I want to physically harm you fight in my life. I was in middle school and I heard all this commotion during this passing period, screaming and yelling. And of course, as a 12 year old boy, I had to go see what was going on. So I'm running over there and it's two of my classmates just going at it. And of course it was over a girl, which just added to all the drama and made it so much more interesting. And here's the funny thing about middle schoolers. We don't come in to help try to stop the fight. No, we form a perfect circle around these guys so they can have a ring to battle and make it even harder for the teachers to get to everybody. But here's the thing. If you ever see like a real like fist battle in your life, it is nothing like the movies. It is not pretty. It is messy. They were rolling on the floor. It was awkward. They looked exhausted. It was just an absolute disaster from beginning to end. And I have to confess, in my short life up to that point, I thought it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen in my life, but I've grown up since then. But I'm kind of using that to set up our conversation today, because last week, we kind of started this year with this challenge. And it was this question around, how bad do you want it? And it's really this challenge to ask, do you want to see God work powerfully in your life? Like, how bad do you want that? And we said, if that is something you really want, it is going to come at a price. 
there's a sacrifice involved. You know, salvation is free, but getting all that God has for us requires some sweat equity. And we're going to kind of build on that idea today because not only does seeing all God has for us require paying a price and sacrifice, it actually requires stepping into a fight. The minute you try following God's plans for your life, you are stepping onto a battlefield. And I'm going to read our text for today, and then we'll get into it. Ephesians 6, verse 10. This is what it says, our passage for today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's pray before we dig in. God, in this very moment, we invite your presence. We just ask that you would speak to us through your word. And with all of us coming from different places, just meet us right where we are at. And I pray, Lord, that as we even go out today, we would just live in your power and live in your strength and be able to see all the things you have for us and for this church, for Colorado and your world. And we pray this in the awesome name of Jesus. Let me get a good amen, everybody. Amen. All right. So 2005, this guy named Christian Smith, he's a sociologist, he introduced this term called moralistic therapeutic deism. And he was trying to summarize his findings after studying the spiritual beliefs and convictions of teenagers at the time, so basically millennials today. And what he basically found is that, generally speaking, now people are probably in their 30s and 40s or so, really generally believe that there's some type of God out there, that he'll even maybe get involved when you need help and you have problems, and ultimately that the central goal of life is happiness and to feel good about yourself. And basically, at the end of the day, this moralistic therapeutic deism is a feel-good spirituality. And what I found interesting, though, was he goes another level in this study, and he makes a case that he thinks a lot of this thinking and mentality has seeped into the American church, to where he says, basically, I feel that we have an entire generation that has an anemic faith at best, and at worst, we have some vague spirituality that has no real power and leaves people without any reliable resources to face the challenges of this life. That was his argument. It's a spirituality with no teeth. No bite to it. And actually, a couple years later, this guy named Andrew Del Banco, he's a secular academic, not a Christian writer in any sense, he actually wrote a book called The Death of Satan. And he actually studied how cultures have viewed evil and the problems of life over the last couple centuries and how they've interpreted it. And basically what he says is today in our world, we view a lot of the things we face from a scientific lens. So we think, okay, if we can just make enough progress in psychology, sociology, ecology, we can solve a lot of the world's problems. Now, here is what he says. A gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources available for coping with it. Now, I think these guys are essentially saying the same thing. And they're talking about an experience I think we all have on some level, and it's that we often are ill-equipped for the challenges we face even in everyday life in our society and the world. And a lot of times, we are not up to the fights we have to face. We don't feel like we have the internal resources to step onto the battlefield. And here's the thing, if the last two years have not taught us this, I don't know what's going to convince us, right? I mean, <laughs> that is not a hard argument for me to believe. But here's where things get a little interesting. The Bible, and we're going to read a letter from Paul today, makes a whole other case for why this is happening. 
Because it argues that part of the problem is that we don't even understand the real dynamics that we're actually facing and what's actually at play. And so Paul, he's this first century Jewish convert to Jesus follower. I mean, he becomes this radical follower of Jesus, becomes a missionary, he plants churches, writes some letters that end up in the New Testament. We're going to write a section of scripture. Think about this. He wrote this 2,000 years ago to a group of Christians in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And this is what Paul says. He is making a case about the fight we're actually facing. Ephesians 6, verse 12, will be on the screens. You can follow along. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I remember in high school and college, my friends and I, we always had this phrase. I need to get a nod from people in my age category. We used to say, man, the struggle is real. Like you're talking about homework and stuff, the struggle is real. You just use it for anything like hard stuff in life. All the younger people in the room, I'm already sounding old to you because you don't say anything like that at all. But the struggle is real. And here's what Paul is saying. The struggle is real. There is a very real struggle going on. Actually, what's interesting, when he uses that word struggle, he's not talking about that struggle you feel in the morning when your alarm goes off and you don't want to get out of bed. This is actually the idea of a hand-to-hand, rolling-on-the-ground, life-or-death fight. Like, this is the real thing. And he says, this is a struggle that is not against flesh and blood. And so here's what Paul's arguing. We see so many conflicts in our lives and world. We see them between individuals. We see political parties butting heads. We see entire countries going against each other. And what he says, basically, is what you are experiencing with your eyes is not primarily people's personalities clashing. It's not primarily cultural or systemic or ideological forces, though it may be expressed in these ways. Here's what Paul's saying. There are unseen, dark, evil, spiritual forces that are directly influencing the circumstances and events in our lives. So much so where he says, this is not just some vague, general evil. He's saying, there's a real framework to this thing. There is structure and organization. He says, there's powers, there's authorities, there's rules. I mean, there is an intentional, intense effort working against the purposes and people of God in this world. And don't worry, it just gets better, okay? So you track with me, you stand in. Verse 11, you may have caught it right when we come in. He says, the devil's schemes. So Paul's like, these are not just even impersonal dark forces. There are real personalities that are involved in these things that are going, and one in particular. Now here's the thing. I know some of you guys, you hear the word devil, and I know there's a million thoughts going through everybody's minds right now. And I, I'm not going to lie, I have struggled. I'm like, on my second week into preaching, this is probably not the best thing to dig into on your second week going in, but hey, Paul's talking about it, so I just got to, we got to talk about it, right? It's right there. I can't avoid it. And here's the deal. We talk about the devil. I know a lot of images come to our mind. The actual understanding of that word is accuser. The slander accuser, it is this person who is literally trying to tear down and destroy with different accusations, lies, and devious schemes. But I know I just have to take a second. I know we all have different opinions on where this all lands. And I, some of you guys, you might be on the skeptical side of, of this thing. You're like, man, come on, Brian. Devil, come on, this is 2022. Haven't we moved on from this? This is so antiquated. This is so naive. How are we even talking about this stuff today? Let me just, let, can I just push you with just a couple like reflection questions? I think it's worth asking yourself, is it possible that my own view of good and evil is maybe a little bit limited? You know, there are tons of 
influencers, thinkers, intellectuals from all through history and even today that had no problem believing that this could be a viable framework for understanding good and evil. And I think it's worth asking, man, maybe my view of this isn't fully comprehensive. And I need to be open about some different perspectives. But also, honestly, we just got to ask, am I being too influenced by my own culture? Because we live in a very specific cultural moment. And are we ready to say that my little sphere where I live in and this time period has the monopoly on reality? Because there are cultures all over the world right now who have no problems believing this stuff. And so I think we got to just take a check on ourselves and wonder if we have a little bit of cultural arrogance to ourselves. But there's just one last question I think that's worth asking. Do you believe in any type of God or spiritual power at all? Because if you do, if it's possible that there's good spiritual forces, is it possible that maybe there's evil ones too? And ultimately, here's the deal, guys. If Paul is right, if this framework he's presenting has any accuracy, if we don't agree with it, we are at massive risk for being ill-equipped for the fights we got to face. I mean, we just got to lean into this. Now, that's one side of the spectrum. Now, here's the thing. There's a whole other side of the spectrum. And you guys might know some of these people. These are the devils behind every single corner, people. You, know, you stub your toe and they start rebuking Satan. Traffic is always an attack from the enemy. Every single little inconvenience is like a battle of biblical proportions. Come on, don't act like you don't know who I'm talking about. Now... Here's the deal. C.S. Lewis, he wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. Fascinating book. If you've never read this book, I'd highly recommend it if you're maybe interested in some of this stuff. He says this at the beginning of his book. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, demons, evil powers. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, devils, are equally pleased by both errors. So here's the key, guys, a balanced, realistic, healthy view of our physical and spiritual reality that we're facing. That's the key right here. And actually, Peter was a coworker of Paul's, and he, he wrote about this topic too. This, you can find this all through scripture. Peter writes a letter, and he says this in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I, uh, I find myself at the Denver Zoo all the time. I got any Denver Zoo folk in the room. I go so much, we got the membership. They are losing money on my family because we just, it's like one way to entertain the kids. Somehow my kids don't get bored of it at all. They don't mind looking at the same animals every single time. Like, when are you guys going to get bored with things? I was bored after the 70th time we've been here. But we always go to the little lion area. And here's the thing, you go to the Denver Zoo, and basically what you're going to see is a bunch of lions having a food coma. That's the lions at the Denver Zoo. They are passed out. They could not care less that you're sitting there staring at them, taking pictures. They are just done. At that point, I'm sure they're just like large domesticated cats, right? But you start watching some lions like on a nature channel or something, that is a whole nother deal. Because you watch these things around. They are prowling. They are totally aware of their surroundings. They are always on the hunt, ready to completely annihilate their prey and just pounce on them. They know how to fight. And Peter is using this lion, this vicious, hungry lion, as an image for Satan. And so here's what you got to understand, guys. We just got to recognize Peter's saying, you know, you have to see. You have an enemy. That's how he describes it. This is an enemy who wants to eat you alive. He is calculating. He is perceptive. He is intentional. He knows what he is doing. And yet... 
Peter does not say, so you better run and hide and be freaked out. He doesn't say that at all. He says, no, 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 hold up. You just got to have a sober mind about this thing. You got to know what's going on. You got to have an accurate understanding of it. But then he says, you got to be alert. You got to be ready for a fight. So Northern Hills, this is just what I want us to understand today. You want to follow Jesus? You want to be serious about seeing God's work in your life? You need to be ready for war. You are in a battle. Whether you like it or not, you are on a battlefield right now. There is a fight going on. I don't know how else to say it. That's just the truth. But this is a war we are called to win. This is a fight you can win. And that's what I really want to spend the time emphasizing on. I just want to set the foundation. But this is what I want to dig into. Paul in Ephesians 6, verse 10. This is where we started our text study. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So just like Peter, we don't run, we don't hide, we're not hunkering down until Jesus comes back. No, we got to stand up. We need some power, we need some strength. God has every single thing you need to stand up in the fight. But spiritual battles require spiritual resources. That's a pretty good line right there. You could write that one down. That's worth remembering, all right? Spiritual battles require spiritual resources. This is God's power, this is his strength. We don't have the necessary tools in and of ourselves, but God does. And actually, Paul wrote another letter during his ministry. I, this is just fascinating to me. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, this is what Paul says. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, you could probably just take a minute and start thinking of maybe some of the different tools and weapons we use in our culture to try and win the battles we face. You just think of how words can be weaponized. You think of like cancel culture. You can literally just destroy somebody by just saying something about them. You can slander them. It doesn't even have to be true. You ruin somebody's career. You tear people down. They're spreading lies and misinformation. You see some of these weapons that get utilized in the different battles. Honestly, there are just weapons of force too. You see intimidation, threats. I mean, just real abuses of violence, but even just like really subtle, under the radar warfare, things that get manipulated. You see things like self-promotion being used as a weapon, even somebody's own personal influence and power. I mean, these are weapons that are waged against people and countries and cultures all the time. But here's the thing, Paul's saying, these weapons look real powerful, they look like they're moving a lot, but it's like using a Nerf gun on the battlefield. <laughs> These are not weapons that are really going to ultimately be that effective. He says, we've got weapons that demolish strongholds. Now, this is actually like a military term. You think of like a stronghold. This is where like an enemy base is. They have the resources. They're embedded in. This is a fortress that you cannot easily break down. And this is so interesting to me because Paul is basically making the argument that there are spiritual strongholds. We sometimes have them in our own individual lives. You know, sin patterns, it can express itself in addictions, things that we just cannot overcome. I think some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But he even, I think, alludes to the fact that there's strongholds sometimes in different geographical areas. I mean, look around our country. There are certain areas in our country that have unique dynamics and struggles. There's entire countries that have strongholds, even over their entire nation. I mean, we could talk about this on so many different levels, but ultimately, there are dark forces that are looking to embed themselves in different parts of our lives in this culture. Strongholds, And yet Paul says, the weapons that God gives us, 
actually have the power to completely demolish and break those down so we can take kingdom ground for Jesus. That is what Paul is saying. So here's the deal, guys. With the time we got left, what are the weapons we've got? How do we use them? How can you actually stand up and win the fights you have to face on a daily basis, which you will? And Paul actually outlines this in Ephesians 6. This is something worth reading throughout this week and get more familiar with. I'm going to start in verse 14. Here's what Paul says. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we've got this arsenal that God gives us to fight with. And I'm just going to outline some of these pieces here because, again, I just think this is going to be super helpful. He starts by this belt of truth. Now you got to ask, how is truth a weapon? You know, it can be kind of strange to think about. There's this man named Yuri Bezmenov. He was a Russian KGB defector who came to the United States and sought asylum here from a few decades ago. What's really fascinating about this guy is he started doing classes on all the Russian tactics that they were using against the United States. You can find these videos on YouTube. Absolutely fascinating to hear him talk about some of this stuff. But he, said, he talks about how so many times when we think of just the war between nations and everything, we think about like James Bond movies, right? Like all these spies running around and driving these fancy cars and having cool watches. He says, he's like, it's actually almost none of that. He said, the single biggest thing we would focus on in trying to undermine American culture, in particular in this case, was ideological subversion, psychological warfare. He said, our goal was to change the perception of reality through misinformation and lies through the various media forms we had. This was even before social media. He said, if you can get enough people in a culture buying into different forms of lies and views of reality, he's like, you can literally just step back and watch them start to destroy themselves. Does this sound familiar to anybody right now with what's going on in our culture? Now you just think about how powerful a lie really is. Imagine if you came up to me after the service today and I just went up to you and said, hey, you just gotta know, I verified this, I looked into this, I'm your pastor, I love you. Your neighbor has been using all of your personal information for the last couple months. Like, they've got your bank accounts, they've got your email. And some of you guys right now, you're like, I know exactly which neighbor that would be if that actually happened. I know exactly who that is. But imagine if I somehow just convinced you, like, they are using all your stuff. How would that start to influence your behavior over the next couple hours or days? I mean, it would completely change the way you operate in the world. It doesn't have to be true at all. You just have to believe it. That's all it takes. And it can start to undermine and destroy your entire life. But here's the deal, if lies are so destructive, how powerful then is truth? Does anybody feel like truth is just a rare commodity today? I just feel like to find somebody who's really seeking and trying to speak truth, it is honestly a hard thing to find. I really believe that. And yet, Jesus says this in John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And we talk about this idea of being sanctified is this process of growth and progression in the faith. And so Jesus is saying there is a constant process you need to be submitted to of sanctifying and growing in the truth. 
which is God's word. This is an ongoing process. We need to constantly be refining in our own minds and hearts what is actually true. And it is actually a weapon that can be wielded against the darkness, lies, and destruction in this world. Truth is a weapon. And we got to constantly be pressing into it. So that's truth. Paul adds another one here. He talks about this breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness as a weapon. Now, there's two sides to kind of this coin, all right, if we can nerd out on theology for a minute. So there's one side where we have a positional righteousness. This is what you get from God. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are fully righteous in his eyes. You cannot take it away. It cannot be added to. You are just righteous in God's eyes because of Jesus. But there's another layer to this. There's righteous living. And this is actually where we have some responsibility in this thing. This is aligning your life with the will and word of God and living out his purposes in your life. And, you know, the thing about this is there is real protection to living God's way. There really is. We have all experienced in here what lapses of character can do to our lives. It just puts chinks in your armor. It opens you up to attacks and consequences and dynamics in your life that sometimes we didn't even want or look for. Paul's saying, this righteousness in your life, living God's way, it is a breastplate around your heart and your chest. It, you can take so many more hits when you are living with real integrity and character. This is a critical piece of your armor. Righteous living. Another piece here, let's keep moving. He talks about the gospel of peace. Feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now you hear this word peace. Just think about in a typical week how much of your life just rails against peace. Just think about how many things just work against peace in your life. You have squabbles with coworkers, you have kids, you have traffic, you have stressors, every little thing that just presses on your ability to experience peace. I'm gonna be totally honest with you guys right now. I only have two moments of peace every single day. It is nap time and bedtime. Those are the only times when there's any real peace in my life ever. And actually, the irony of even talking about this, yesterday I was cleaning this up a little bit, trying to make sure it was ready for Sunday. And my kids are in the house, and I'm watching my four-year-old son with all of the strength he could muster thrust his fist right into my two-year-old daughter's stomach. Now here's the thing. It was a really good hit. And I actually told him, I said, man, that was actually a good hit. I'll give you credit for that. But there is just like this lack of peace sometimes in my own household. And Paul is saying, this is actually a weapon that you can utilize. And interestingly, I think there's an illusion here. He's talking about shoes. Now, this time, these soldiers, they would have spikes in their shoes. They're basically like cleats to help them have a firm footing when they're fighting. Because you get thrown off balance, you're on the ground, you are in massive danger. And so Paul is saying, you have to be rooted. You have to get your feet firmly planted on the ground with the gospel. This is the only sure footing you can actually have in your life because there are so many circumstances and dynamics and situations of people that are going to be throwing you off balance. And what you have in the gospel, what Jesus has done for you, what you can stand in him, the grace and the strength and the power, you will not be thrown off balance. You have to be rooted and fitted in this and stand on that firm foundation of the gospel. And it brings this overflowing sense of peace. Because no storm, no fight, no war is going to ultimately throw you off balance. The gospel of peace. You guys sticking with me? We've got a couple more. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying myself. So I've got the microphone. I'm just going to keep talking. So um, he talks about 
the shield of faith. Now, I was actually thinking about this. You think about faith. When I usually think about faith, I think about faith as like this offensive weapon, right? We talk about taking steps of faith. I'm going to move forward in faith. I don't usually think of it as a protective shield. But Paul is actually kind of making this case that your faith is a defensive tool in your life from all of the temptations, all of the accusations, all of the different attacks that come on your life. Like faith properly deployed can actually extinguish things that are looking to pierce your very soul. And you just think about this. A lot of times, I think, when we have moments where we're a little bit intimidated by circumstances, we want to kind of step back, right? You want to shrink back, well, oh, geez, I don't want to overreach. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know what the outcome is going to be here. And yet, Paul is saying, you're not the safest when you shrink back. You are actually most protected when you are taking bold steps of faith and you're stepping out into God's will and his power in your life. That is actually when the shield goes up and you can handle what you're up against. It's not stepping back in fear. It's stepping forward in faith. It's not just offensive. It is a protection on your life. It is a shield, the shield of faith. Now, I just want to keep going here so I can stick to this. Helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. I do not think this is an accident that Paul talks about this piece of equipment being around your head. Because I'm sure a lot of you guys are like me. There are just thoughts swirling around our minds every single moment of every day. There is so much stuff I just get anxiety about. I start freaking out about. I wasn't even supposed to drum today. 5 a.m. this morning, I found out I was drumming for church. That can create a certain level of anxiety, you know? I'm not that good of a drummer, okay? It creates a little bit of fear in your mind. And yet, Paul says we have this hope of salvation. That's the idea. It's a hope of salvation. And he's saying, when you truly understand the hope you truly have, that there is a plan to human history, that God has every single detail in play, and that ultimately you have something that cannot be taken away from you. The promise of salvation in Christ. That will bring stability to your mind. It will give you a level head. You can keep your head in any situation when you understand the hope you have in Jesus. And that is where you can focus your mind. It is a helmet around your mind, your hope of salvation. But let me go through this last piece here, this last piece of armor. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Doesn't that just sound awesome? I just like the sound of that. The sword of the Spirit sounds awesome. Now, we just have to have a moment here, guys. This is not some dry history book. This is even just like a nice little devotional tool for your morning to give you a little, little upper, all right? Paul says this is a sword. This is a weapon in your life. You can use this to cut down darkness in your own life and the world. Hebrews 4.12, the writer says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. This thing cuts through to the very soul. This is a dangerous weapon right here. You can do a lot of damage with this thing. you got to learn how to wield this. This is not very useful when it's sitting in its sheath all the time. And Northern Hills, we need to be a church that knows how to use this weapon really well. You got to be in this thing every single day. 
reading it, wrestling with it, reflecting on it, letting it challenge your own life and pierce your own soul. And Paul says when you do that, you can actually use this thing in powerful ways to overcome evil and darkness in this world. It is a sword. Let's handle it well. And Paul ties this whole thing up. Some people argue that this is a weapon. Some people argue it's just a summary over. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. He says, Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request prayer. He says, at the end of the day, you got to understand you have a direct line to the ultimate five-star general of mankind and the universe. And you can tap into that any time you need it. He will provide the resources you need. He will give you whatever is required in the battle. And he is somebody you can pray to any moment through all this prayer. And we'll talk more about that next week. But no else, I mean, I've really been just wrestling through, you know, this last week. Like, man, is, it, is this where, you know, the thing we need to dig into and talk about? And I just felt this strong conviction, guys. We just got to recognize we are in a war. You got to be up for a fight. You got to be willing to step into this thing. And I think sometimes it's so tempting as Christians, when things get hard, we think, well, geez, then maybe it's not God's will, and why isn't this working, and everything's falling apart. And actually, that may be the very confirmation that you're right in the middle of God's will, when it gets the hardest. And we just got to summarize this whole thing. Ephesians 6.13, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Northern Hills, I believe, God is calling us to be a church that stands. We are not a church that retreats or shrinks back. We are called to be a church that takes a stand and fights the good fight of faith. I want us to take 2022 and press forward and take some kingdom ground this year. I want to push back darkness in our own lives, the things happening in our city and our state, in this world, and I want us to see God move powerfully in our families, in this church, all around, I want to see him move forward and use us powerfully. In Colorado, guys, let's just be honest about this. This state is more and more becoming a battleground for the faith. It just is. And you know what? I've talked to so many people, and they just say, you know what, Brian? We got the snow, the housing costs, all the dynamics in our state. I just want to go somewhere warmer. I want to go somewhere easier. I want to go somewhere cheaper. But I just have to believe, guys, that God is challenging us to say, no, I need you to stand. I need you to stay in the fight. This is a war. But this is a war. We're called to win. It was actually earlier, just in this last year, Nicole and I really were taking some, some steps of faith. We were really trying to step into what God had for us. And I don't know how else to describe this. Just the spiritual dynamics were at play. And actually, my full confession, guys, I lean more on the side of I don't want to over-spiritualize stuff sometimes. I'm like, I don't want to just blame everything on the devil and demons and make this, you know, this whole deal. But Nicole and I, we finally got to a moment where we were like, we just got to call a spade a spade. We got some warfare going on right now. There, there's nothing else that we can call this. And it got to a point where we were like, are we going to at least own the fact that we're in a fight? Are we willing to own the fact that this is a war? And are we going to fight with some power and some strength? And so... Nicole was the one who challenged me on this. My wife is a way better Christian than I am, okay? And she's like, I think we need to put on the armor of God every single day. 
And so now, when we put our kids down for bed, this is just part of our daily routine with our kids, and we actually make it kind of fun. We okay, okay, what's the helmet? And they're like, the helmet of salvation. And they're like, what's the breastplate? Righteousness. And we tickle them while we're doing it, the belt of truth, and we go all over it, and we do all, and then we finally end with, and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, the Bible, ready for battle. And we go, could we start doing a little fight with them? And here's the thing, I am not doing this with my kids to put them in a state of fear and make them think there's some demon or devil around every corner. Nicole and I do this with our kids every single day because we want them to be kids who stand, kids who fight, kids who are not afraid to step into the battle. Rowan Hills, that is what I want for us. That is what I really believe God is calling us to this year, to be a church that stands, not a church that shrinks back. We do not live in fear. We step forward in God's strength, in his mighty power. This is a promise you have from God himself. And so as we close today, yeah, we are at war. This is a fight, but this is a war we're going to win. God, we just acknowledge you right now in this moment. Your power, your might, your goodness. And Lord, right now we recognize there are dark forces at play in our lives. There's forces trying to work against this church, Lord. There's forces that are trying to take the state of Colorado captive. And I just pray right now, Lord, that you would give Northern Hills, all of us, your mighty power, your strength. God, I pray we would have the courage to step into this battle. Help us fight well, Lord. Cover us with your armor. And my prayer, Lord, is that you would use Northern Hills, your people, Use us, Lord, to take some kingdom ground this year. Use us to push back darkness. Use us to bring your love and your power and your presence into our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our cities in this state, Lord. Use us for that. And for anybody right now, Lord, who is just either exhausted or overwhelmed by the different battles they're facing right now, I pray that today, you would just give them a fresh sense of your strength. Let them experience some of that supernatural power that you make available to us. And ultimately, Lord, let us live in that amazing hope that this is a war that we are going to win with your help. We pray this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.